Hello, this is Timothy Allen and welcome to episode number six of the Timothy Allen podcast. Well, today's episode is a continuation of last week's episode where I spoke with Daniel Prince. Now, our conversation actually turned into more than four hours of talk and I thought it would be a good idea to split it in half in particular because the second half of our conversation revolves around the subject primarily of Bitcoin. Now, as you'll probably work out as you listen to this podcast, explaining Bitcoin can be quite difficult. Both myself and Daniel have been Bitcoiners for many years. And as a result, when we're talking with each other, about Bitcoin, we can rabbit on for hours, as they say. And throughout this podcast, I kept realizing that I should probably tone back the speech a little bit and explain a bit more about what we were talking about. So do excuse me if you find that we meander a little in this conversation. I'm trying my hardest, but um, Bitcoin is a very deep rabbit hole of information and understanding. And as such, it's often difficult to know how to explain it to someone because it has many, many different facets. So the resulting conversation that we have is more of a, like I say, a meandering river, which um, travels through the landscape. However, we do touch upon most of the important aspects of Bitcoin. There will always be more in a conversation such as this, and I would imagine I will have more conversations about Bitcoin in the future because it is one of my biggest passions in life. In this conversation, we touch upon Daniel's inspirations, his podcast. He has one of the best-known podcasts in the Bitcoin space. We also touch upon education again and the future of education. We talk about tax. We talk about the Bitcoin community from the perspective of two plebs, as we say. Also the toxicity in our community, which we both find pretty amusing, to be honest. This conversation does start off a little slow. And the reason for that is it was the back end of the previous conversation we were having. And Daniel had to go at short notice. So... I asked him if we could come back and continue, um, which we did a few days later. And I've cut the two together, so you probably won't notice the join. But after about half an hour, that's when the conversation really starts to get going in the end. It was a, it was great sitting down again with Dan. We share a lot of the same ideas and hopes and aspirations. And I feel very exhilarated coming away from a conversation like this so I hope you enjoy it and in the meantime you can sit back and relax and enjoy part two of my conversation with Daniel Prince. Thank you. So first of all what 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 was your connection to Bitcoin even you know how did how did you sort of stumble upon it and did it entice you immediately? Like some people, it takes a few years to sort of get it. Some people, and this was me, the first time I heard about it, I I, I instantly knew I wanted to find out more. And I, I very quickly fell down the rabbit hole. Uh-huh. 
Um, I first heard about it when um, I was at work um, because I was working in foreign exchange. So I, I can't remember, I couldn't tell you the exact year, maybe it was 11 or 12 that I first heard about it, completely poo-pooed it as internet geek money. Then Mount Gox went to uh, the, the Mount Gox um, hack, which was, the end I thought Bitcoin. that was the, uh, yeah, completely. I yeah. thought that was it. You know, I, I just, I, I think no a lot research. of people did. Yeah. Well, no, it was an incredibly devastating, funnily enough, if you, if you remember that, or if you went through that, um, almost nothing could compare to that, even, even a potential ban by a very large government. And, you know, if, if you can bounce back from that, you can pretty much bounce back from anything, especially at this later stage. Sorry, I butted in there. Carry on. No, that's okay. Uh, and then <clears throat> it was when I I was a subscriber to Real Vision and I knew one of the co-founders, Grant Williams. Um, and we would always be talking about um, market stuff whenever we spoke with each other in, in Singapore. And then when I left the the country and 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 the markets and my job, uh, I just carried on watching those interviews. And I remember an interview watching uh, him discuss Bitcoin with, with Raul and they were just having a discussion about it. And then they brought some people on to, to in, be interviewed about it. And uh, you know, back then it was Trace Mayer and um, Tour de Mister and a few others. And I was just blown away. Like, oh my God, this, this one, it isn't dead. And two, these guys are just amazing. Uh, this is going clearly is going to be bigger than I'd ever given it consideration. So I just carried on falling down the rabbit hole, Tim, as, as we say in the space and researching more and reading more and finally understanding that uh, this is definitely something, some kind of asset that I should be uh, exposed to. And um, just slowly started stacking away. What? what are the, where, how did the podcast come about? You know how how do you how do you go from hearing about something like Bitcoin to ending up having one of the top Bitcoin podcasts? Especially as someone who's never done a podcast before. Yeah, uh, that is. Yeah, hmm. I when was it? I started it two thousand. Yeah, just over a year ago. Just over a year ago that I started the podcast, and. It's, it's, you've probably experienced this. Um, around, you know, 2019 was a real kind of watershed moment for content around Bitcoin. And even though I'd been learning about it at that point for a good five years, the quality of articles and books, and there were a few podcasts as well, weren't there, coming out at that point, just mm. exploded. And that just upped my level of understanding to a whole new different game and conviction. My conviction just started exponentially exploding. And late 2019, start of 2020, I kept, it kept niggling at me that I couldn't share what I knew with as many people as I could. I, Nobody would listen. And you've had the same as well, Tim. Nobody, you know, your <laughs> friends, your family, they just don't want to hear it. They think well, they you're crazy. Hear it. <laughs> yeah. They think you're crazy. Yes. Or used to, I imagine. Y yes. 
And it was just becoming a, a, a bit of a lonely, lonely place to be uh, when you're the only guy talking about Bitcoin and the only thing you can think about is Bitcoin and you've got no one to talk about it with. I was actually invited onto a podcast, uh, the Bit by Bit podcast. And I did that one in real life because I was in London. We were still allowed to travel in January 2020. And I was there with my oldest daughter who was doing a, an internship. So at the age of 14, she did an internship at a startup in, in London uh, to give her some exposure to, you know, she wanted to run were a business. You, but, but how were you even connected with Bit by Bit at that point? How, he found Twitter. me. He found me on Twitter and reached out and said he'd love to have a discussion but what were you doing like prior how 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 were you vocalizing your support for for bitcoin at that particular time before just the, the odd tweet here and there you know i was just another twitter lurker in the shadows tweeting every now and then uh, i'd be tweeting about bitcoin i'd be tweeting about homeschooling and uh, world schooling and how the monetary system has to change and the education system has to change and he asked me to come on. I think I was only like his second or third guest. And because I was in London, I managed to do it with him in person. And of course, we couldn't stop talking for three hours like we're doing here. Mm. And it was brilliant to actually meet him in real life. And I went home thinking, he's doing something really important. Lending his voice to the space and it doesn't like I, I hadn't heard of his podcast before. It's brand new. It was great to have the discussion. And I listened back to it and I was thinking we could we could help some people out. And I tried sending that podcast around. And it was from that experience and doing it with him that I realized I should be doing something like this because I, I had the know-how. I know how to connect. I know how to network. I know I, I interviewed many people for the uh, the global homeschooling summits that we'd done in the past i was comfortable with doing that i'm comfortable with reaching out to high level people you know authors of books or ceos of companies so i thought well if i can leverage that skill and that know-how and then just record the conversations and upload them if one person listens to them that might change their life so that was the driving kind of force behind it and that's been the, the, that still is the ethos to, for me to this day is the next podcast could change someone's life. The next podcast could change someone's life. And that's, uh, that's the drive. And th this last well, week and on, a half. You're on number 135. I'm looking at it now. 135 episodes. I mean, if you think about that, um, that's at least two, that's hundreds of, that's 200 hours probably, isn't it? It's, it's just incredible. The amount of, uh, of people you've, ended up speaking to and uh, i think i think what people appreciate about your podcast as well is you you obviously go for the big names in the space but you also have been talking reaching out to what we call lovingly i should say the plebs or the plebs depending on which country you're coming from <laughs> and the plebs are just normal people and this is what we all love about the bitcoin space it's very um there are there are you know it's very leveling it's a level playing field um bitcoin is a very inclusive um thing in itself and anyone can join in whenever they want 
And if anything, we as a as a as a tribe, we we don't like people who consider themselves to be um, above anyone else. Um, and so, and I, as I as I as I can think about it, you're one of the few podcasts who do talk to, um, yeah, the plebs, uh, as well as the big names. And um, who's been your most awe-inspiring guest? Who's been the one that's like changed you the most? Can you remember? You. Me? <laughs> Shut up. You've no, been on? Seriously. I have been on, yes. Yeah, I, I rabbited it on for about three hours, as, as I remember. Um, you, got, you got me at a good time. I did enjoy it, actually, because you, you, know, you know me. I, I, I've been a lurker for quite a few years, and it wasn't – I came out of the closet, in inverted commas, funnily enough – I came out, the most public thing I'd ever done regarding Bitcoin was last Christmas. You know, I went on University Challenge. The, you no. Know, like, didn't you know that? Oh, no. dude. You, uh, they have a thing called Christmas University Challenge, which is like, and I'd say this with a pinch of salt, celebrity Christmas University. You know, it's like they basically get celebrity alumni or not celebrities, but alumni that have done well in life, let's say, or, or have a public, you know, persona, and they do, they, they, you know, they, they, they have a special um, thing at Christmas. They have like, and believe it or not, we won, we won. I was at Leeds University. Me, Reverend Coles, you know, Rev Coles, no. and, and you, yeah, yeah, and two other guys, and and we we won the whole bloody thing and we beat oxford and cambridge in the semis and the final we you know like it was the perfect it was just like it was the perfect anecdote of do you remember that episode of um of um, the young ones where they went on university challenge yeah and they it was like they were scumbag college and the versus like footlights and they they blew them up in the end with bombs well, that was just like us, and we we nailed like Oxford in the final and won. I mean, ma- well, I say we; it was mainly the others. Um, but but what on that? I just I I thought, believe it or not, University Challenge at Christmas University Challenge is the most watched program on BBC Two, and I think I think in fact the whole BBC at Christmas. It's an inc- it's a crazy um, it's a crazy thing. It's, it's such an important program. And I decided to wear a Bitcoin buttonhole badge. You know, I thought, right, I'm just going to put it out there. So I put a, I put a buttonhole badge on it. And I was on like three times because we had the, the, the first round, the semis and the final. And I got loads of people inquiring about it. And, it, you know, it was, a, it was a, the first time I'd ever done anything that, like that. Um, but it really helped me to sort of come out into the public a little bit. Because it's a... It's a um, I know a lot of Bitcoiners that live a double life. They they have their normal life and then they have their Bitcoin life. And in the Bitcoin life, what very common experience with people is it sort of bubbles up and becomes all-encompassing to the point where they, they kind of have to acknowledge it. And and I think one of the biggest um, kind of like, pro- and you know, in inverted commas, problems in the space at the moment is there are so many people who want to do something they want to work they want to be involved and they don't know how to mm-hmm. uh they, they you know like uh, other than say for example like you've done start a podcast or if they have um the right qualifications they can code or they can work in in the, the various parts of it but there are a lot of people who have who for whom it's a hobby or a, or, a, or a passion who really want myself included who really want to become part of it 
but don't know how to other than holding, for example, you know, holding Bitcoin, which is certainly being part of it. And there's no question about it. It's an important aspect. Owning a little piece of Bitcoin is very, very important if you are a Bitcoiner. It's the most imperative thing. But um, but obviously you you managed to, f to to sort of find your place in there. Is it, you know, is it, did you think that that it, it was the driving force behind it? I presume. Uh, the, 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 the driving force was to, um, spread the message. I felt that what the, the knowledge I had accrued about it and how important that it is that we both know how important this is for everyone. I, I felt as though I couldn't keep that knowledge secret. Uh, I didn't want to write another book. I knew that I didn't have that in me, but I did want to have conversations and I, I knew I'd be able to um, record them. And, I, you know, I just figured I'd, I'd roll the dice and, and, and do it for a few months and, and put it out there and see what happened. And yeah, for, for whatever reason, it has been well received and I've been very lucky to have met the people that I've met. Uh, you know, you, you follow the show. I've been inspired by almost everybody that i've i've spoken with um definitely I'm just looking down everybody. the list now dude yeah i'm thinking jeff booth your latest one you know um preston pish um the giga chad himself he's on there like they're all on there so i've got to go back to my original question who who is the who's the one who who's the most um the most interesting and and enlightening you know what it's like sometimes you i mean this is why we all love the spoken word some conversations you you come away you come away changed mm -hmm. and and often it's not even that you know it at the time there's been a couple of podcasts i've listened to where i've known that something's happening to me during that during as i'm absorbing these words and and i know that it'll happen over the next few weeks as the layers get peeled away as i start to understand these new concepts that i'm sort of like being being offered who are the who are the people that do that to you uh i think john's a great guy for that john vallis uh, robert breedlove uh the these uh brandon quittam as well um they're, they're definitely these kind of guys that get you thinking in a completely different way i'd never studied philosophy uh, or psychology or anything like that. So going down those kind of rabbit holes and learning how other guys think when uh, when speaking with them, that that really helps me kind of open my mind up to to big ideas. Uh, I don't know if uh, Liz has listened to if you listen to the first forty five minutes. I think of my interview with Michael Saylor. The the first question I ask him about is education, about um, Saylor.org, and he does a an a an amazing job of laying out, you know, what's currently wrong with the education system and, you know, where he sees it. And he, his sailor.org, he wants to be uh, an accredited online university that is going to be free for anyone at any time, anywhere. And this, this again, is the, this is one of the other unseen, uh, you know, I, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it, but my, what I envisage for the, the future, the far distant future is if you look at the kind of holders of Bitcoin at the moment, um, arguably in the, at some point in the future, they will be patrons. And Michael Saylor is a perfect example of this. He, here's a guy who's got enough money to basically do what he wants, and he can start uh, an online learning portal slash you know, kind of online university where you can train anyone free anywhere in the world. 
Now, why wouldn't you do that? And I think as as we've all seen, especially if you've been in the space a while, you 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 the the the, the price of Bitcoin is an undeniable feature of the code. You can't it goes up. It's programmed to go up. We know that. We know why. It's very obvious. You know, the demand goes up, the supply can't go up, so the price goes up. And arguably, there will be more and more every day people from this same mindset with their with large sums of money at their disposal. And why wouldn't they do the kind of thing that Michael Saylor is doing? Why wouldn't they patronize people who uh, are creative or or in you know it it, it just makes it makes total sense. And I, I, that is one of the futures I see that I that I, I predict will come into being because we're already seeing it now, you know. And I mean, what's your what's your view on on education? Do you think it's all going the way that that uh, Michael Saylor's kind of like hoping? Yeah, hundred percent. And there's already a company out there called Lambda Lambda Schools uh, for. So this isn't just for kids, right? This is for and I think 18 years and over, and that they specifically focus on um, coding. And Austin Ulred, the founder, he's a Bitcoiner as well, which is you know even better. But I interviewed him for the Global Homeschooling Summit last year, and you can you can sign up to Lambda and go through the onboarding process and say, right, I want to redesign my life. You could be any age, 18 and over, and they're going to teach you how to code and they are then going to help you because they have affiliations with companies that just want to take their students as soon as they've you know passed their uh, whatever course that they're sitting so a, a 34 year old person who right now throughout covid for the last year might have lost their job could have gone to lambda signed up learned to code and then for free by the way as well for free and then got placed and the business model for Lambda is you would pay back, I can't remember exactly how much it is that, that they charge, but you pay back 25%, I think, over the next four years if you're fully employed with a, uh, a salary, a minimum salary of, I don't know what they chose, 50, 75, or 80K. I don't know whatever it is. You can check it out on the, on the website. But this is it's happening now. Idea. I mean, yeah. this is this is already here. Lambda are two or three years old. Now, what Sailor is going to do, anyone can... <laughs> I had a guy listen to that episode. I had two or three people reach out to me. One in particular reached out to me in the DMs, said, my God, this has just changed my nieces and nephews' lives in the Philippines. Because now I know mm. about this, I can rest easy. I know that when they come of age... I, they can just go on sailor.org. They can study whatever they want to study. They can choose and they can get that certification and then they'll be able to join the global workforces. Like this is absolutely mind-blowing, amazing. I had like two or three people reach out and say that. Uh, yeah. What we, do we, they, are, are they, do they cover everything on sailor.org? I know they've got a Bitcoin bit and I mean, do they, what about the creative arts like filmmaking and photography and things like that? Have they got, it's, are they doing uh, that? Good, good question. Uh, I'm not sure, mate. Reach out. <laughs> you could probably. Oh, no, no, I don't mean for me to do it. <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Maybe I. Maybe but I. Say, I it's safe. Safe and Stefan Lavera are putting together the Austrian economics course and the Bitcoin course. Um, that's uh, which is amazing. I'm on there now. Finish my degree, partner. Learn new skills. Student success. Um, 
it's i mean it, it is it, i feel like um like i feel like hardly anyone knows about any of this stuff is it true yep. like is it just us lot that realize that you can yep. go and study anything you want for free i mean we know that about youtube i mean <laughs> but but this is like you know this is like if you want to study bitcoin you know or no if you want to study austrian economics for example which we both have um you could go to university well you probably couldn't even go to university and study it but you could go to sailor.org you could learn everything you need to know from probably the two most eminent teachers in the world and it doesn't cost anything <laughs> mm -hmm. like where's that how do you compete against that you can't that's why universities will go they'll just be gone in like 10 years time they won't yeah, look like what they look today they they'll can't be... just go like i get what well, i get what you're saying like universities are defunct if you in a way but they can't just go they're these huge old institutions look at the uk oxford and cambridge they're not just going to disappear they're going to they're going to scrape around and they're going to try and find their place in the in the new world and there's a lot to be said for the real life experience you know i mean let's face it the reason you go to oxford and cambridge part and partly and and in most people it's to a lesser or more extent is because you want to rub shoulders with a certain type of person mm -hmm. and and not just to learn at a, a very high institution um and i suppose there's always going to be a place for that that real life like we're talking online now and it's it's a bloody nightmare I want to be sat at a desk with you having a having a chat. I don't want to be talking over the internet. So we all know that the real life experience is better. Mm -hmm. So so you know like the universities have got have got something. They they obviously they they're missing I mean they they they're, they're too expensive. I would hazard it. Almost certainly they're too expensive. But they can't just disappear. What do you you know like how are they going to adapt? I I really don't know. They won't be overrun with students as they are now though because they're those those students on the periphery that are like oh i'm going to university just because i need to because it's expected of me and you know they'll have the other option and who who wants to overpay for student accommodation who wants to pay the 150 grand whatever it is over the the four years that you're going to go and study there when you can study this stuff for free and exactly. it's like it's a ridiculous you can't you can't you can't compare it right uh, so Maybe they, they fragment and you, you get smaller, you know, Tim, we're, we're big fans of decentralizing these things, you know. Um, maybe these, these colleges, they, they can decentralize themselves and, and have smaller um, entities around the world where if you're studying, you know, purely online, but then you can still go and have a physical interaction and discussions with professors or your college mates or classmates in a physical location maybe that's the the new role but like the, what they are right now but that even look dude i i've i i've learned from 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 doing safe's course in austrian economics i've realized that teaching online works you know you can you know and, and there's a there's a much bigger ex, ex there's a there's a there's a an un, an un, there was an unforeseen benefit to me in that I, I ended up meeting a load of people and and maintaining relationships with them online and that was a that was a first for me I I didn't realize that that really happened I thought that was something that 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 uh, gamers did 
you know, on 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 Minecraft. I didn't realize that sort of like old farts like me could meet people online that they share something with and end up sort of like becoming actual friends with them and and you know and looking forward to to the to the interactions like our 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 Wednesday call. I really yeah. look forward to that. I really do. And and it's mainly because I feel like I've got a lot to offer. It's my best it's my best chance to offer what I know to some people that don't don't know what I know. And it's it's always invigorating and I always come away really buzzing, you know. And and I yeah, it's been a, it's been a it's a, it's been a really interesting um aspect of it. So I don't necessarily think that you know you have to meet in real life i think the reason you have to meet in real life at uni in my case certainly was because i wanted to meet girls and have fun and go to parties and do all that kind very of important stuff. you know absolutely well you were you said it earlier like like what did i did i went to lee's university and i did zoology and i got a 2-2 when i left you know you know, I was there having fun, but you know, I DJ'd. We had we had parties. I I, I was you know like I that's when I got into DJing. That's one of my other hobbies. And we you know like we ran we ran parties there. We did all the stuff. It was all about that for me, you know. And fortunately, I didn't get into debt over it because we they didn't have debts. We, we we didn't borrow money to, to do uni back then. But when you strip away, you know, all the benefits from 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 universities like we've done now which is no interactions, well, less interactions happening. A lot of people are doing it online. You realise, yeah, what's the selling point? I mean, really, what is the selling point of university? Um, and, and how do they bounce back from this? Because, I mean, they will. Like I say, I don't think, uh, I, I'm rabbiting on a bit here. <laughs> I don't think they're going to stop. And, I, and I, don't, I also don't think they're even necessarily going to adapt because they're old dinosaur institutions, aren't mm -hmm. they, universities? And in a way, arguably, the younger universities that are offering more sort of like more contemporary ways of teaching, they're probably going to be outcompeted by the internet. You know, they're the ones that are going to suffer, not not the Oxford and Cambridges and, and Edinburgh's of the world, because they've got that history that attracts people. But if you're looking at such and such a higher education college, then, then, and and you're paying for it. Then a lot, a lot of people are going to be thinking, well, why should I? You know, so so maybe maybe they're. It's a bit like what happened in publishing. I think, um, you know, magazines got annihilated by the internet. But if you go into a magazine news news agents now, you see a lot of very specialist magazines. You no longer see those kind of broadly speaking mags. You get you get you know. Well, we we've got one. It's called Smallholder Weekly. <laughs> you know, things right. you know, like <laughs> for people with small holdings. We haven't even got a small holding, but but I just love looking through it. You know, <laughs> and they they there seems to be a market for those. So arguably, you're, you you might get that same thing happening in education because it's it's being attacked by the internet now as as is everything you know the media is attacked and destroyed you know like now money's getting money and banking is getting and finance is getting attacked and destroyed the education starting to be attacked and destroyed by the internet age you know so what do you think like, like take 20 years into the future where do, where do you think the education um, system lies do we what what's happened for example to oxford and cambridge that have had to have diversified somehow. And hmm, for them, well, mate, they'll be holding Bitcoin. Yes. 
right? They'll be, be holding patronizing people. <laughs> they, they, they will be holding Bitcoin. And uh, look at the huge funds that are run. You know, like Harvard, they have like this huge investment arm of all, and that gets managed. That gets managed into stock market, fixed income, and bonds. And I know for a fact that uh, they've they've put some into a basket of cryptocurrencies, but they'll figure it out and they'll hold Bitcoin. And you and I know, Tim, that the power of Bitcoin will appreciate over time and they will slowly go all into Bitcoin. Then that will start driving down the cost to the students, because if you're holding Bitcoin, an asset that just keeps appreciating over time, you can start offering better services for less. So perhaps that is going to be their saving grace. Perhaps that will be the way to... And who's going to go? The intellectually curious rather than those people that just want to go and party. Um, well, that's, that's the, what the it should aspect. be. Uh, you know, this is the other aspect of... I keep, I, I'm acutely aware that probably, you know, people listening to this, um, a number of them won't even really know what Bitcoin is. And certainly, oh, yeah. mo- most, people, <laughs> certainly most people will have only heard of the, of the fact that it keeps going up in price. And as you and I both know, that's a travesty. It's, a, it's nothing wrong with the price going up. And, and it's true that that attracts a lot of people into the, into the space. But, but as we all know, there are so many other absolutely fundamental aspects of what Bitcoin, how transformative it is as, a, as an idea and as a technology that, that, that um, most people don't get. And in my case, it's like, it's the, it's the fact that um, when you hold an asset like Bitcoin that um, goes up in price continuously and has done as far as we know, always will. Um, It changes your spending um, habits because every time you're about to spend money, you, you, you realize, well, look, I can either buy that thing or I can not, or I can buy Bitcoin with it. And then this will give me greater purchasing power in the future. And this is, has a, a fundamental or potentially the more people that use it will have a fundamental effect on the world. And in particular, as you know, I, I, as someone who's come up, you know, I'm a zoologist slash environmentalist, you know, I've been in the green amongst the green community for many years and none of them seem to understand it. None of them seem to get that it's the technology that will save the planet because it will, as it, as adoption increases, the number of people making decisions about consuming X, Y, Z will start to change. People will consume less. People will make, make consumption decisions in, in a completely different way and less will be consumed. And none of the old models of being able to, you know, of chasing um, monetary gains through producing useless things have any any reason to exist anymore, and you know, like it's it's those things that I really hope that that people start to acknowledge because um, it's I don't know it's it's like I I don't know how you jump straight into that you know, with people like how, how do you start talking to people about how life changing, how, how world changing the technology of Bitcoin can be when it took me three years to get to the point where I realized it's the most, it, it, it can save the environment, for example, which <laughs> seems like a bit of a leap of faith from number go up 
to saves the environment mm -hmm. you know it, it sounds and, and 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 quite rightly most people i know in the environmental space think it's complete nonsense and and also believe the boiling the oceans narrative which is bitcoin uses huge amounts of electricity to to sort of secure the network therefore it's a bad thing and it's it's killing the environment and and it's that thing again it's that okay surface value do the bloody research work it out yes it uses a lot of electricity so does running your car but you don't think running your car is a bad idea or or running the heating in your house you know uh, so many people because they don't understand the underlying value of how bitcoin is changing the world they therefore won't think that using electricity to secure the network is worth it besides the fact of course that Bitcoin miners site themselves next to renewable sources of income and search out the cheapest electricity, which is often stranded electricity, you know, but how is it, you know, like, how do we get this stuff out there? And like, do you think it's going to, do you think people are, are going to get stuck at the money go up aspect? Because, you know, I, I, I can't help rabbiting on mate, but when you look at our community, <laughs> you mentioned, for example, you mentioned real vision uh, earlier. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I'm slightly suspicious of people like Real Vision. It has to be said, Raoul Paul. When I, when I, when I look at him, he's, he, you know, I come from a world of, of like freaks, as as Marty Bent would say, you know, and I see him very much as a suit, and and, mm -hmm. and he, you know, like, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But but I wonder how many people will stop at the kind of. Um, at the, the at the fact you know the value proposition of it as in the financial value proposition of it and like or, or seeing it as a, a tool to to make money rather than as a tool for complete transformation of humanity you know and i mean you come from the world of suits do you consider yourself a suit or, a, or are you a pleb you know which one is it yeah a pleb uh you know i was i was obviously drawn into the the world of bitcoin for for number go up i i saw that aspect of it first i thought this is something i need to put in an, an investment portfolio and, and hold for the long term and over the the years i've just completely moved away i mean uh, my, my conviction of of what it can do for humanity and how it can change so many things and social behaviors and how it's going to be able to uplift everybody that ever interacts with it and change their mind and lower their time preference. That's what it's all about for me now. That That's just absolutely incredible. And the environmental issue that you're talking about, that is just truly amazing. The technologies that are being built on this thing, we, you know, Everything that we have interacted with over the last, well, all of our lives or over the last century has been built on the industrial revolution and the financial instruments that come with that. Now, this is all being built on the technological revolution, which we are living through. We've seen it, the rise of the internet. And now that rise of the technological inform, um, informational age uh, and revolution that needs its own financial instruments and that is what bitcoin is and we are seeing this this shift away from the old system into the new system and it's just something to behold you know what they're bringing in next year in france go on because everybody's been pushed to remote work by them there's something called tax foncière and that is your local council tax basically that pays for the services around town or whatever keeps the gardens nice 
keeps the roads in good condition. All the all the general hoo-ha, the water services, you know, sewage, yada, yada, yada. So next year, they're bringing in a law that your tax foncière, you'll have to pay, obviously. But if you're working from home, you'll have to pay another tax foncière because you are running your business from home as well. So it's going to be counted as a, a personal tax foncière and a business tax foncière. <laughs> what are you saying to people? Like this is, I, I, I don't was think it to my stops French there, teacher. mate. I don't think it stops there. They're going to keep coming and they're going to keep coming. So my French teacher told me about this and I'm like, how do you feel about this? And she just fucking blew her mind. She's like, how the fuck can they charge me for the same? Well, let's talk about, let's talk about that then. Because if the the further you go down this route of taxation and continuing taxation and more, more rules, more regulations, more this kind of stuff, you start wondering about a grand conspiracy. You do start wondering about it. So, so what do you think? Are we talking about incompetent people trying their hardest to, to keep local governments and governments going and trying to deal with everything and just putting more and more pressure on people trying to do something themselves? Because we're both entrepreneurs, always have been, and we feel it. I mean, we're, we're very acutely aware of tax. I think if you work in, a, if you work in an office somewhere and you just pay taxes, it, often you, it's not something you take much thought about. But when you run a business and you're taxed in so many places, and this is the thing that people miss often, the tax isn't just on your pay packet. The tax is on your food, the tax is on your petrol, the tax is on your roads, the tax is on your house, the tax is, you know. And there's a meme that pops up every now and then online, and it's so true. And it's, I, I think it's an old painting, and it's someone sort of like holding their hand out, you know, like a little kid holding their hand out. And it's literally everything you do, that pretty much the government's there with a handout saying, I want some, I want some. And it's so insidious when you look at it like that. It really is like, no, fuck off for once, please. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think? Is, you know, is, is there any merit in a, in a conspiracy? Like, you know, is it because it is it is destroying or trying to destroy? It looks like it's trying to destroy anyone who's trying to think for themselves. And, and as you mentioned, to be a sovereign individual these days, you either start something brand new in a completely different place or you struggle a lot to be sovereign in a, in a country that's that's coming down hard on you i just read a book by dominic frisbee called daylight robbery and i've interviewed him for the show and for the 21ism guys as well um that is a very eye-opening really eye-opening i i recommend it to anybody listening to to go and and listen or read the book and it's called daylight robbery this is a an interesting story we, this is a term we're all grown up used to used to hearing right daylight oh it's daylight robbery it's daylight robbery and when you look back in history can you think of like you know what where would we have taken that saying from would you what what kind of comes up in your mind? I know what it is actually, and I don't know why I know okay. this, but it's to do with windows, isn't it? The, the window tax. Yeah. I think I heard you say this recently. Maybe I was right. listening to one of your podcasts, but it is that was I've only heard it recently. It is fascinating though, very fascinating. Well, yeah, a lot of us would have associated it with with Robin Hood, right, or someone someone like that, the highwayman you know, holding people up, you know, daylight robbery. But whereas in actual fact, yes, it was a tax imposed. I don't know the exact centuries or dates, um, but in the UK, a tax imposed 
on what should have been considered the wealthy, right, in, in air quotes, because the more windows you had, clearly the bigger house you had, and clearly the more money you had, so you were a better target for the government to start pulling more money out of your pocket and into theirs. So they introduced the window tax. And if you've ever walked around London or old cities, you might have seen old buildings that have had windows bricked up. Sure. Because that's what people started doing. An unintended consequence of that tax and that regulation or that policy was for people to try and, you know, maximize the, the money that they had earned fair and square in the marketplace, exchanging their time for money, doing whatever their skill set was, right? So to evade the tax, they started bricking up the windows. Now, of course, Everybody started doing that, even the poor. So the poorest of the poor ended up living in complete darkness, pre-electricity. So what are they burning? They're burning tallow or they're burning um, rushes. And so you're just sitting in this smoke-filled, dank, dewy, moist-ridden, lightless abode. And there was a huge outbreak of disease and sickness and unhealthy individuals and huge huge strain on the you know the, the health services another in unintended consequence of of this tax so that is where the saying comes from daylight robbery why didn't they put a minimum like why why like these days obviously you don't they try and structure tax tax law so you if you earn under a certain amount you don't pay tax Presumably, they. why didn't they do that with windows? If you have like, you know, you've got your, your bog standard number of windows that you can have and then and then the rest of them get taxed. <laughs> Maybe they did, right. I don't know. Like. The, so the book goes on and, and it, it, it argues that every war and every um, specific, you know, turning point in history was linked uh, to tax. Uh, and it's very, very, very interesting. But back to your original question, do I think there's some kind of conspiratorial? I think it's so ingrained in society that, you know, it's just taken for granted that we're going to pay taxes and it gets abused by the lawmakers. Our perception that this is a lifetime journey for us to be paying X amount of our money over to them, they abuse it. And it's, yeah, I mean... Well, it's a it, monopoly, isn't it? <laughs> Yes. It's enforceable by violence and it's a monopoly. I mean, how, how can, can it, it not be abused? So you think there's so you as as a as a your from your own ideology, let's say, you you feel that there's something in it. You know, like your your I mean, we often discuss governments and you know and whether libertarianism even works and and What's what? What's your kind of stance on that whole thing? If it, you let's go hundred years in the future and you're in your ideal world, how does it work in your ideal world? I think human beings would be more than happy to pay a certain amount of tax per year for services that they see real value in, tangible value whether that's a protection service or whether that is infrastructure service, if you can tangibly see the value and feel the value, nobody would be asking any questions and nobody would feel cheated 
or robbed because that's what society feels now you and i feel it we feel robbed so does your neighbor you know how you 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 go through the, the minute you get a first paycheck you start paying them how do you make um a monopoly um accountable then in the case of a government how how do you make sure a government doesn't just blow money on on ridiculous things this, this well we've failed at that things. haven't we well you notice this <laughs> as an as a as an entrepreneur you can't help noticing how much money gets wasted every time i hear another um politician with a 200,000 pound expenses bill i'm thinking dude i run a business there's no way i would have a 200,000 pound bill unless I was a multi-million dollar company, which, the, you know, the government, I suppose, kind of is. But, but how do you make them accountable when they're getting free money, regardless? And if you don't pay them the free money, you get put in a little box with bars at the window and you're told to stay there. Get through. <laughs> you know, how does it work in the, in the future? Because like, Bitcoiners have got, we're, we're, all, we're all kind of mostly, let's say, most Bitcoiners are acutely aware of a live and let live kind of lifestyle and this is what we don't like about a centralized government how does it work in the future how do we push back right how do we how do we take control and because at the end of the day it should be the people that rule them not the other way around right that that was the original ethos of of a government and to your point, again, earlier you were saying, you know, how insidious it is and that they have this monopoly control over uh, us and, and our money and this threat of violence, this overhanging threat of violence. If, if you do not pay your taxes, you will go to jail. And the same does not apply for them, right? It, it just doesn't. And if you're going to counterfeit money, you will go to jail. And again, the same does not apply to them, right? They're counterfeiting money like it's going out of fashion, especially right now, under the guise of your protection. We need to protect you because of COVID and we're going to print another 100 billion pounds, 200 billion pounds into the economy. That is counterfeit money. That is just completely... Nobody spent any time to earn that money. It was created into thin air. Counterfeit. No ramifications. Well, it has ramifications, obviously. It, on us, they they have no ramifications at all. Flick a few buttons, extra two hundred billion pounds in the economy that devalues every pound that you've ever worked for, and you're going to have to carry on paying tax, and prices are going to inflate because of this. Where's the accountability? There is zero. And but how do we? Yeah, how do we turn that back on them? Well, I mean, I think it's obvious how we turn it back is because it's already happening. Is um, the ultimate protest against that kind of setup is ignoring it and creating something new and utilizing that, which is exactly what's happening with Bitcoin. And this is you know, one of the most beautiful things about it. It's the, peaceful, it's the peaceful protest. It's the peaceful riot. You adopt something. You, you, don't, you don't push back against the dollar. You just adopt something else. And it's happening, and, and you can see it happening. And there's no doubt going to be one hell of a fight but it's not going to be with bitcoin itself it's going to be with the people that use bitcoin the fight because you can't really fight bitcoin it just is a thing and <laughs> it kind of exists and and it exists amidst a very strong network of individuals all around the world and you can't you can't really stop it the more and more people that do start adopting bitcoin is brilliant 
more importantly, what's going on, and we've seen it happen in the last nine months, this explosion of corporations and institutions and wealth funds, hedge funds, pension funds, insurance funds, whatever it might be, adopting now in a huge way. And what's going on at the state level in the US where some uh, senators are coming out and talking about how Wyoming is a classic example, Cynthia Lummis, she's going to be using Bitcoin for the, uh, the state budget. That is truly amazing. That's how we change, I believe. If we get people like that already in the positions of power, not Bitcoiners going and knocking on doors saying, I want to be a politician, not going to work. The politicians slowly realizing, ah, okay, this is happening and this is what's going to carry us forward and this is what's going to serve my community and this is what's going to bring much more social order to our city and much more prospects and much more happiness and if we go on to this (laughs) this is my fingers crossed well i do well i'm not even sure you need your fingers crossed um i think i think we should backtrack a little bit and go down to first principles of bitcoin here because i'm I'm acutely aware that there may be a number of people listening to this not knowing what the hell we're talking about, talking about greater prosperity, um, you know. And I I know it's not easy because everyone, if once you start digging under the surface of Bitcoin, it it takes you many years. Well, it took me many years at least to get to the position I'm at now. And even one, two years ago, I was, there were certain aspects of it that I was completely missing the point of, um, you know, and I'd done a lot of research up till that point, a lot of living within the community, hearing people. Um, so if we get back to very first principles about Bitcoin, you're talking to a, say you're talking to a newbie, knows nothing about it. You've you've spoken to probably all the premier thinkers um, in the space. You know, you've done hundreds of podcasts with all the most important people at the cutting edge of the wedge um and from all different aspects of the bitcoin society because you there are a lot of subgroups within the whole space so from talking to all those people um what are the most profound and base level things that you would tell someone who has no idea what we're talking about about what is bitcoin and why is it so important in in 2021 yeah, great question. It's, it's trying to find that killer sentence, isn't it? To, yeah, it to help exist. someone. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's a exist. killer manuscript, and it's quite long normally. <laughs> but go on, try. Yes. <laughs> I, what I try and explain to people now is I try and analogize it. And Michael Saylor helped with this narrative and helped shape my helped right, shape we need to, my thinking. Sorry to butt in, but when we mention someone now, we have to say who they are. Michael Saylor is a, yep. a very well-known now institutional, let's say, investor in Bitcoin. He put all his public companies' um, cash reserves into Bitcoin. Currently, he's got over a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin now. But he was one of the very first... It, publicly traded institute if not the first publicly traded companies to come outwardly um into the bitcoin space and and very vocally so he's yeah he's one of the he's someone he's also pretty philosophical about bitcoin as well and has has a lot to say about it very much so and when what you you want to go down the angle of trying to explain to people 
uh, if Bitcoin is money, if you view it as money uh, that just lives on the internet, it's not money that you're ever going to be able to physically touch. Um, but just think of it as a savings account. And this is the analogy that, that Sailor used. Uh, you know, you, we, we grew up when times were a little bit better percentage-wise in your bank. You would have a checking account and a savings account. Your checking account you'd use for your everyday and sweep anything come the end of the month into your savings account, which might have accrued anywhere between 4 to 8%, depending on however old you are, right? And that was the way banking to us was for ages until they drove down the price of uh, the interest rates all the way down to zero. So now the way he tries to explain it is like, just think of Bitcoin now as the savings account. So whatever you've got left over at the end of the month that you're not going to need, sweep that into the savings account. And that's the, the, the blandest, easiest way I try and explain it to, to people that have never heard of Bitcoin before. Okay, well, look, I'm going to push back on that because I'm, I'm going to be a noob here or devil's advocate. And I'm going to say, well, but, but what, what, you know, why don't we just wait for interest rates to go up? I mean, I'm listening to you thinking, okay, so my old fiat interest account, my pound interest account isn't paying me much interest. But why is Bitcoin any better? Because I think what, what you're alluding to here is a much deeper concept, which once it takes hold of you, and that's the concept of low time preference and, and the ability to adopt a lower time preference with certain assets. So, so maybe we should talk about that. Um, why is Bitcoin better than, why is a Bitcoin savings account better than your pound or your dollar savings account? Uh, because as, as you well know, Tim, if you, if you look back over the last 12 years at the, uh, the price of Bitcoin, I think if you were to annualize that, I think it's about 200% per year that it goes up in, in value. Uh, th this can't be ignored at all, especially when your, your bank is, is offering you 0%. And yeah, sure, we could wait around for them to decide that we are now deemed worthy enough to to now earn one and a half percent or two and a half percent, whatever they want to put it up to, which still is never going to outrun or outpace the level of inflation that we are paying for our goods and services throughout the year. You are still losing purchasing power as time goes by. Uh, with Bitcoin, this is this is the leap of faith. Of, of course, there is always a leap of faith and there is always a risk in the investment. Uh, you and I have been around it uh, a little bit longer so we've we are now more comfortable with that and we know a little bit more about the protocol and a little bit more about how it works and a few of the um intricacies around like the the, the hard cap and the, the 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 how the mining works and the, the halving and how all of this is set up to accrue in value over time and we're comfortable with that and we understand it that's such a deep level of conviction that you have to get to. And obviously you have to go on your own journey to get to that. But to start that journey, you have to start interacting with it first. And that might mean taking a hundred pounds a week or a hundred pounds a month, whatever it is that you're comfortable to move in to this new digital asset, uh, money, currency, new financial system, uh, whatever you're comfortable calling it, or a savings account, you know, different different language works with different people. That is 
it's the, the the best and the only way to learn when you have that skin in the game. I hope that's coming across. I think <laughs> I'm no. Have I'm, I answered your question? I, no, you're you're struggling, and I know why you're struggling because every time <laughs> you mention a new concept, it's like it's like the tree of life. You know, there's this kind of thick. Um, trunk in the middle and then as soon as you start in bringing in new concepts they're all side branches that go off into a myriad other branches i'm i'm jotting down all the things that i know we need now need to talk about you know the the fact that the price goes up for example which you're you're talking about obviously the price going up is something that probably i would say well everyone enjoys but but a large percentage of bitcoin is a more, far more fascinated by the other some other aspects of 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 what bitcoin is and, and what it does for society but let's just talk about the number go up side of it the price mm -hmm. go up isn't we're just full of memes aren't we the bitcoin community yes the exactly. price goes up number go up is just a, 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 a meme in the community it's ngu technology i think didn't safe did safe dean invent that one i, I think I, he was I, the first i don't know he was know. the first person I heard say it, and it's just a meme. It's like yeah. it's alluding to the fact that the price goes up, as Daniel says, year on year, about two hundred percent a year. But two things to say to that: one is, well, how do you know it's not a bubble? And I would answer, well, and I read this this morning. You know, we're at a Bitcoin's um, market cap at a trillion, roughly a trillion dollars at the moment, and I think. Someone someone put, had a graph. It put silver's market cap. I think it's one point three trillion. Now you imagine doubting the market cap of doubting silver. Imagine uh, you know, like you know, you would you you can you can see the price of silver. You can kind of like see what it's worth. You can buy some and you can hold it. Or, or a com a trillion dollar company. Imagine, and people buy Apple stock no problem. So, you know. I, I don't even think you really need to get comfortable with the prospect of Bitcoin at the moment. You just have to look at how much is invested in it and then compare it to something else you would invest in, another asset you would invest in, like a stock for a company that you like. And if you're comfortable investing in that company and the market cap's less than a trillion, theoretically, you should be comfortable with, with investing in Bitcoin as well. I guess, Tim, as well, just on that point, I mean, how many people listening do you think have ever invested in stocks and shares. Not everybody does that, right? It's only a Not very many small at all, percentage. Yes. So there's a huge amount of fear baked in to the financial system, and that is done for a very good reason. They don't, you know, there's, there's it's very insidious again. We're not taught any of this at school, right? You, you no, just right. are not. I, I don't even remember learning how to write a check at school. Like, I remember that the first time I heard of stocks and shares when I was a kid, and BT went public. Do you remember that? And they had this ad campaign on tele. There was an ad campaign on telly. And it was like, you know, buy, buy shares in BT, British Telecom. You know, and, and, but in those days, of course, you had to ring a broker. You, had to do, you probably had to write a letter to someone to buy BT stock. You know, these days you can open an app, Robinhood or something like that, and just buy it instantly. But it is, it is now a, a more, I know what you're saying, that, you know, people are less inclined to buy assets. They're more inclined to put their money in the bank, which is what you're taught. Um, but, but I think that's changing. I mean, look at, look at the way people invest these days. Cash App, you know, Robinhood, you know. I think there's a lot of, crypt, there's a lot of um, digital mm -hmm. natives coming up now for whom 
it's very normal to turn to their phone to make an investment because I, I don't know, maybe this is a, a change in the mind and a complete change in the mindset of people, but I don't know whether you've noticed this because I mean, maybe you can see it in your children, but are your children thinking about getting a job when they get older? You know, do they talk about what they want to be when they get older or are they thinking about like, well, as long as I've got certain assets that I can kind of create money with, then I'll be doing, then I should be doing all right in the future. I've got a mix. So my oldest is hell-bent on becoming a business owner and wants to run an exciting startup and, you know, do do that kind of New York City lifestyle and that that kind of thing. Uh, my, my next one, she will be a purely digital native. She'll work remotely project to project where she sees fit and add value where she wants and uh, pick projects. And um, I, I don't think she'll ever be tied to location. Uh, then my two youngest, Samuel still has dreams of being a professional footballer and, and playing football uh, for, for a number of years. And Lauren, uh, she wants to um, one day uh, open... Already. She's got her she's own got podcast. Her own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> she she wants to. Uh, she has visions of herself serving people coffee, uh, coffee in cafes, and um, you know I'm sure living in France has been an influence on that because she loves going into the cafes and the feel and the vibe, and she sees the, pe- the you know the the French lady behind the counter and coming around and fussing and giving people like croissants and cakes and stuff. She thinks that's really cool will she ever grow up doing that i don't know well let's uh, but let's get back to, um, we, we, we meander like a bloody like a young river coming out of the mountains <laughs> we've got off the topic of bitcoin like, <laughs> but i'm re- i'm acutely aware that i it's very difficult to talk to people about bitcoin unless you can unless you can have their undivided attention for a long time and just cover a few basics so let's go back to what you were talking about savings accounts mm-hmm. So, but, you know, why are savings accounts even good? Like, why why save? I mean, who's, like, who do you know saves anymore? <laughs> you know. We had that beaten out of us, didn't we? That was pretty, I look back at, and again, that was a narrative, right? That's pretty disgusting, actually. Uh, what's been, what's been, what we've, what we've, the barrage of advertisements and, you know, like just non-stop t- turning this wheel of consumerism and making you feel that if you don't have the latest, greatest thing, gadget, car, biggest house, all of this nonsense, then you're, you know, the, it's all tied to your identity, keeping up with the Joneses and all of that kind of thing. And it's just been an attack, a constant attack since the 70s, right? WTF happened in 1971. Your 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 listeners should definitely go and check that out. That, that That's a website. website, by the way. Yeah, another rabbit um, hole. Save that rabbit hole for another time. Yes, <laughs> which I mean is an uh, absolutely imperative rabbit hole to go down. It truly is. It's alluding to what happened in 1971 because so much changed from that point onwards, and especially for me because I was born in 1971. But um, <laughs> it's it's when we finally left the gold standard, and I'll leave it at that. But when, but you know, and oh, I mean, you can't mention any of these terms without without going deeper. But it's we let's try and keep to the right. To, so to the we've, core we've of had, the thing, we've yeah. had the savings mentality beaten out of us, 
our parents probably still had it. I remember my mum and dad telling me to, you know, make sure you save, make sure you save. And that's fine. I was taught that way. That's great. Uh, but how many of our generation, Tim, uh, you look around uh, your friends, I'm sure, uh, same as me. So many of them. Man, when we turned 18, we had Barclay Card sending us credit cards through the post. Prepaid. And I remember my parents were like, the hell is this? That goes straight in the bin. But a bunch of my other mates, they were in debt within weeks. That became crippling debt within months at the age of 18. So what was going on? Why was there this push to make sure that we just kept spending and spending and spending? And I'm sure you'll know this narrative as well because they've managed to get the boomers. The boomers have been, they've been turned as well. Do you remember the meme, like, uh, you know, the boomers are going on a ski holiday? And No, I don't. What was it? Ski stands for um, spend kids inheritance. Oh, right. <laughs> Huge meme that went around the, uh, the boomer generation. And it's like, how bad is that? I mean, it's, that's not me trying to money grab and I can't wait until the inheritance, fo- you know, falls into my lap. That, no, I'm a father. And I'm building, I hope, wealth to pass on to my kids. I don't want to spend that. I want to be able to leave that to them and generations that come after them. And to title back to Bitcoin, that's I see Bitcoin as a pure savings vehicle to be able to do that, to pass on to the next generations, because we are having this, this turning point in history where we are moving away from one financial system to another and if you're not part of it, you're going to be, what, your kids and your kids' kids are going to be asking the question, why were we not part of this? And why was there not enough education done by my parents or me um, beforehand? Uh, so that's... Well, arguably, everyone will be part of it in the end. In the end, um, you'll have to be. There's no, there's no doubting it. And you can't, it's undeniable so far, I mean, obviously, Bitcoin's only, what, 12 years old, let's mm-hmm. say. But um, it's very obvious that when people understand uh, what we call a, the, the hardness of an asset, so yeah. its ability to retain its value, let's say, when you notice a very hard asset, it's very tempting to, to buy that asset. Because, as you were saying, you want your money to stand the test of time. You don't want inflation to eat into your savings. And this is what the problem currently that we know is happening in the world, um, often as a result of, you know, the policy of the central banks. But so many sort of um, things at play. The price of everything is going up. We know that. Um, We're told it's 2%. We certainly some things do go up at, at a, a rate of two percent, but when you look, when you break down what that sort of what those things are, they're they're things that that don't react much to market pressure anyway. The kind of things that are going up massively are the things that people really really want: houses, Jesus, you know, luxury goods, anything anything that has hardness to it is going up in value because people are trying to protect their wealth because they can see the devaluation occurring their particular currency around the world um and arguably going back to your point um sooner or later 
everyone will choose that hard asset. And so far, the hardest asset we can ever really even contemplate in our minds is Bitcoin Mm -hmm. because it has a scarcity to it. Um, This is something that if you don't know what Bitcoin is, um, it's quite obvious if you investigate it um, because it's written in immutable code. Um, The code is actually, sorry, that's not strictly true. The The code is mutable, but by consensus, and it's relatively difficult to get it changed almost nigh on impossible these days. Um, But one of the most founding principles about the code is that there is a limited and fixed supply to the amount of Bitcoins that can ever exist, currently at 21 million. And that means that when the demand for that thing goes up, the only thing that can react to accommodate extra demand is price. You can't produce more of it. Um, The way that Bitcoin is currently produced which is called mining, and there's another whole rabbit hole to go down. (laughs) Um, It's essentially written in the code to produce new units of Bitcoin about every 10 minutes, and that's all I'm going to say on it, um, until the point when they're an unleft of mine. And the the issuance schedule, the amount that are issued every um, 10 minutes, also goes down over time. So we've got... Plenty of time left in the, into the future, over 100 years, while new Bitcoins are still being produced. Funnily enough, most of them have already been produced, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, but this is what makes Bitcoin what we call a very hard asset and something that it makes sense to invest in. Because if you have spare money, or if, even if you don't have spare money, and you, and you, plong, and you buy this asset, just like you buy it might buy a house the price of your house might go up the price of bitcoin is going up every single year now arguably in the end everyone will choose that um my next question then is and i'm as a devil's advocate is isn't saving a bad thing though like when we stop spending what happens to all those things that we might have spent our money on that would have caused good in the world? Like, you know, or, or, or do we do, you know, when we, when we have a choice to make now, well, I can either spend my money or I can not spend my money and the value of it increases quite substantially. And I know that one, another big pushback on Bitcoin is, well, you know, if, if an economy doesn't work unless people are spending. Yeah, that's another narrative we've been brainwashed with, isn't it? Over the uh, over the years, we need to uh, stimulate the economy. It's um, you know what do central banks have a price stability mandate, don't they? That we have to govern the prices of everything and make sure everything is regulated and you know it's all for your own good. Whereas really, as we both know, having fallen down the Austrian economic rabbit hole, if they'd have just gotten out of the way and not regulated prices on any of the goods and services that we use. And we had a free market for all of these things, goods, products, services, stuff, whatever. Some would have come, some would have stayed, some would have gone. Some would have gone up in value, some would have gone down in value. Reacting to what is going on in the marketplace. Prices being set to the demand. And the supply, and this is what uh, one guy actually, Jeff Booth, his book, The The Price of Tomorrow, he talks about uh, deflation. My God, how did anybody not even think about talking about this before? 
Because when you look at it, it's so damn basic. It's so obvious. And that's what Bitcoin is as well. It's uh, an Austrian economics. It's, it's in us. It's intuitive. But we've had the wall pulled over our eyes our whole lives by this financial legacy system and um, the, the policies and regulations that get thrown on all of these different things that we have no idea how a pure free market would economically look like and work. And yes, many people would be thinking, well, if no one's spending money, that means there's going to be less jobs and everyone's going to be unemployed and it would just be this death spiral back into the medieval like you know hell pit and the dark ages and what we're saying is well deflationary economy is far better and in fact um what it will do is it will make you more discernible when you spend your money you won't be spending your money as much but when you do spend it you'll be spending it on something that's very important to you and as a result and i really do truly believe this you know because i i come from this world um, I do believe that if the the mindset of a deflationary economy takes hold of people, then over a period of decades, we will see the environmental problem concluded. Um, because really, I believe that the pro- if, if you look at the root of if you look at the root of many of the so-called problems we have these days, um, the money. Is, is what's causing the problem. There's this constant pressure to spend, to spend, to keep spending, to keep spending, to keep up with the fact that your money is being devalued every day. And if you do, you end up with a lot of companies around the world producing crap, doing terrible things. It's like a, a scrum to, to, to make as much money as you can. With a deflationary currency, you're more, you're more prone because you know that if you don't spend, you're going to be fine. You know, not spending that money is not a bad thing because it's accruing in value. So when, it t- when the time comes to spend, you will spend it wisely and you will put it into something you really value. Because the alternative may be losing value from the, from, from the asset that you're holding, which in this case would be Bitcoin. Um, and I think, you know, story to go on a bit, but something that, being in this space has taught me over the years. I, I never really occurred to me that, that this was true, but that taxes, for example, aren't... I used to think, oh, yeah, governments need taxes to do X, Y, and Z. When you go a little bit deeper, you realise things like taxes and interest rates are tools of a centrally governed um, organisation to, to, to control the money supply. And, to make, and that's all it is, really. You know, like... There's, there's, there's a few people at the controls using these techniques of changing interest rates and, and changing tax rates to basically control the economy and to control you at, at the same time. And it's quite, when you use that word again, it's pretty insidious. It really is. Um, you, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, imagine a business model where you can take up to 40 or 50% of every single taxable person's money and then spend all of it times 100x because every government around the world is in debt, bankrupt. Like you, Tim, would be, if if you were in the same state, you as an individual would be declared as bankrupt and a social disaster for your community. 
it, but they have, like you say, they have this, they have this monopolistic control, complete authoritarian, totalitarian control over our money. And if you have that, you are just a puppet on a string. And this is why people like you and I opt out and we want to move across to Bitcoin, which is not controlled by them. It's also extremely unfair and it, it plays on yeah. my, my, sen- my morality. It's very unfair Criminal. to allow someone to have the ability to create money without doing any work. Criminal. You know, this is, if, if you are a central bank, the Federal Reserve or ECB or whatever, you can create money. You you have to talk about it and discuss it first. So there's, I suppose, that's the proof of work that goes into it. But then you pretty much Who, who's <laughs> do something along though, the lines. Tim, well, exactly. This is another not people another I meme. not people right. I would want to have as friends. I, no one you way. voted for, right? right? No one anyone voted for. This is another meme in the Bitcoin space: the unelected bureaucrats that that get to sit in a room and make these decisions. That the, the one person that you voted for or didn't vote for doesn't matter on you know your your political leanings they then give the jobs out to the people so you have these people sitting in these positions of power that you have no idea what their skills are i mean who's who is it now you got uh rishi sunak in in the uk right okay where the hell did he come from no one knew who he was and now he was a bank he was a banker was not he? i think i don't really know dude i think as you know i think they're all as bad as each other right but he has the power now he has the complete power over your money and other people's money. Or, but what about wording it like this? He has the power over the value of your money. Right. Because you're, you have, I suppose, I mean, the bank actually has your money unless you've got it in cash in your pocket. And even then, do you want to go down? About, do you want to go down fractional reserve banking route? <laughs> no. Well, we probably should, but let, let's kind of try and stick to, to, to Bitcoin again and why, why it's, Hopefully, public. hopefully Go listeners on. will start to realize, oh shit, Bitcoin touches every part of life. Somehow these guys are going well, down all these different rabbit holes and still managing to bring it back to Bitcoin. I mean, but this is the crazy thing. And this is why one of the most profound memes in our space is Bitcoin fixes this. Because without sounding like a crazy dude, it almost does fix just about everything. And the reason it does is because we have overlooked the fact that the money system that we currently have, which is called a fiat money system, which is, I mean, that rabbit hole is huge. It didn't used to be. <laughs> I mean, is it? Yeah, I don't even. You know, I'm not even going to start that. Um, is basically at the at the origin of many if not most of the world's ailments and i'm not saying money is the root of all evil here i'm not i'm not saying that i'm saying the money system we have is probably the root of all evil because it incentivizes so many things which are bad for us and even the way or even the food we eat mm-hmm. it's we're going through a renaissance of horrendous food. When you walk into a supermarket now, compared to when I was a child, if you walked into a supermarket even, you had you had the fresh fruit aisle and you had a few tins, and that was about it, mm-hmm. and the bread. Now you walk into a supermarket, and the first thing you're bombarded with is thousands and thousands of products which are designed to make money. 
They're yep. designed to sit on the shelves for as long as possible without going bad, and then you put that crap in your body. With the same three and ingredients, just in different shapes and sizes. Yes. It's disgusting. Different colored labels to make you. And and this is something that another thing, like we actually, you might think we're crazy, but we think that Bitcoin fixes that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could go down the route of, you know, and this is a, this is a quite a profound one. I realized from talking to safe um, that the architecture one mm-hmm. and, and the, the fact that upon entering a, a stage in history where money is, um fiat money is printable and at the press of a button um architecture changes and it and the 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 thinking that goes into a building goes from very long term to very short term and this really hit home to me recently i went i live in wales as you know and i i i was walking with my kids in west wales and my family um and i can't even remember the name of the place now but we were confronted with an astonishing view. Um, we were in a very beautiful part of Wales on the coast, and there was a, a an old castle there. Um, and I think it was nine hundred years old, and it was it was as in most of the old castles in Wales, it was it it is decrepit, but it was still standing strong after nine hundred years. And I couldn't believe that within a sort of a quarter of a mile, and in the same shot, in the same picture, was a nineteen sixties. Um, tower block that looked like it had been produced by a sociopath it was so out of character there was this beautiful castle on the edge of a cliff looking out to sea and then a little bit further down the headland there was this box created from the mind of a sociopath um, which was actually a university which was already derelict you know we're talking 1960s already derelict windows created with terrible um you know materials the cheapest materials possible and even like i say it sounds crazy but bitcoiners think that bitcoin fixes things like that because once again when you have the choice to hold your savings in a in a sort in a in a in a form of money that that doesn't lose value over time you 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 produce things with a lot of care and you produce things which are going to last a long time because you don't want to keep producing something new. Mm-hmm. You don't want a building that, that has a lifespan of 20 years. You want a building that has a lifespan of 900 years. I bet, and, when, I bet when you go on holiday or, or if anybody listening visits a new city, you go on holiday, you turn up in the, in the, uh, the town or the city that you're, you're visiting. We do this all the time. Where's the ancient quarter? Where's the mm-hmm. old town? Hmm. that's all I want to go and walk around. Why is that? Well, we were talking about this on one of our Zoom calls actually the other day, and it's it's interesting because Bitcoiners have low, what we call low time preference. That means we, we think about things in the long term. And funny enough, and I think this is probably true of a lot of people who get into Bitcoin, Bitcoin didn't make them low time preference people on the whole. I think it was there. It was there and it and it, it reminded them of it because that was certainly the case for me. I mean, I live in a here in our house is well, we don't know how exactly, yet, but it's four to three to four to five hundred years old. We don't really know. Uh, it's, been, it's on, on some very old maps and we've renovated it from scratch. And we also built a whole new building. here. And when we built our building, we used thick timbers. I've over engineered absolutely everything. 
And that was before I was heavily into Bitcoin. You know, like I've, I've already, I'm already that kind of a person. And maybe my mum and dad drummed it into me, like yourself, about saving and thinking about the future and, and all these kind of things. But it's very suitable for me. And I, I bless the day every time I realize that we now have a technology that allows us to store value. Because I want to do that in everything I do. If I build a house, I want it to last another 400 years. You know, and if I buy, if I put some money into an asset, I want it to last a long time. Or if I want to give money to my children, I don't want it, well, I don't want it to get inflated away by the time they're 18 and, and have, have less value. And, and it's, I often come back to low time preference as being one of the most fundamental aspects of this whole thing. Because when, when we say Bitcoin fixes this, I think what we're saying is Bitcoin lowers your time preference. And when you lower your time preference, you start thinking more seriously about stuff. You don't, you don't destroy the environment because you're thinking long term. I mean, part of the reason why we're in the environmental predicament we're in at the moment is because people are just getting short term gains the whole time. Same reason with politics. You know, you're talking four to eight years for each political party once they get into power. And when it, no one's thinking long term, like they're thinking four to eight years, as long as I stay in, I get a second term, that's good. And then it all changes and then everything gets changed. So the system never actually deals with any really, really long term problems because the political, whoops, the political party can change and then their whole view on everything changes. And, and yeah, Bitcoin lowers your time preference. And it's, it's a breath of fresh air because low time preference is uncool or has been for quite a while hasn't it it's all Absolutely. about live fast die young do all this kind of stuff and the, the whole think no- of all those memes like they're fiat memes right yolo yeah uh you know um life's a life's a bitch then you die yeah like you know what or yolo you know, uh, what's another one i'll sleep when i die hmm. you know like these are all fiat memes what that that's high time preference behavior yeah, I mean, it's it, run on it, the hamster wheel as fast as you can just to try and keep up with the Joneses because you it's a race you will never win ever. Yeah. And I suppose we all know that Bitcoin offers an alternative and it's a beautiful alternative because you don't have to defy anything. You don't have to um, fight anyone. You don't have to. There's no conflict necessary. You just change your focus onto something else. If you have money in certain assets, if you have um, money in the bank, you take that money and you you invest it in the Bitcoin network. You buy a small slice of the Bitcoin network. And when you need it back, you take it. People, Maybe we should address this, Tim. People think it's only for the elite or the criminals what, Bitcoin? of the world. Right. Yeah. Well, criminals, yes. I don't know about elite. I mean, it is becoming that for sure. I mean, it's becoming, it's got its own desirableness of late, hasn't it? I, I, I think um, what I mean by that again is a lot of people aren't conditioned to even think that they would be able to have the ability to buy it. They they wouldn't even understand. Like, well, what, how do I buy it? Well, you go to an exchange. Like, what's an exchange? And then it's shut down. Because again, a lot of people haven't had this experience. The people I've helped on board and, and start buying their own 
um, Bitcoin and you know I'm going across tomorrow to meet a guy uh, Friday to meet a guy for lunch to help him because he's like I don't know what an exchange is I don't know what you're saying I've never bought a stock I've never bought a share so to him anyone that's buying Bitcoin is part of the elite because they have the knowledge so therefore you know oh my god they're, they're, they're part of this weird bunch of people that know about finance or you know elitist or of course it's easy to listen to the FUD or read the FUD. It's for criminals. It's for terrorists. It's for money laundering. This is the best way you can money launder. So, uh, launder money. So this is, don't don't touch that. That's all for the criminals and the drug people. And you're like, what? I think that that narrative is 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 almost gone. You only hear very high level politicians mentioning that one now because I think. Um, yeah, I mean, but but to your what you were just saying then, I think it's important to point out that, and this is one of the other most important characteristics of Bitcoin, is you have sovereign ownership over it. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, if you buy some Bitcoin, you, you actually really do <clears throat> own that thing. Um, no one can take it away from you without your permission or without literally prizing a 12 or 24 word seed out of your brain if you haven't written it down. Um, it's arguably one of the first, maybe it is the first thing you can actually own. Like, you know, I own my house, but the government could take it away from me. They could forcefully purchase the land here and build a build a copper mine. I know that. There's, whereas Try not paying your council tax. Let's get back to tax. If you well, didn't exactly. pay council tax for three years, what happens? Yeah, you, you get your house taken away. Right. Um, and they obviously they can lean on you very hard to take your bitcoin away but it is a very important aspect of what bitcoin is but it has two sides to that story it's 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 unconfiscatable from you without your permission but you have complete ownership over it and if you lose it it's up to you if you lose the keys to unlock your little section of the blockchain to to retrieve your value um, no one's going to give it to you. It's gone forever. And but then again, this this is another really interesting thing. This is having a renaissance recently, um, which is responsibility. Um, you know, once again, like nowadays, responsible taking on responsibility is like learning one of the secrets of the universe. The the the, the outcomes in your life of adopting responsibility are huge. And, and it's having this massive renaissance. There's a lot of great thinkers in the world, you know, talking about the, the merits of taking on responsibility. Um, and yeah, it's, it's another, like I say, we've got the, another one of the really important aspects of, of why, why we choose to Bitcoin, because we are self-sovereign individuals. We have control over our money, but you need to marry that up with the responsibility of looking after that, because no one's going to, get your money back for you if you lose it you can't you can't actually get that money back if you lose the private keys to your money or the wallet say the wallet that your that unlocks your money you you will never see it again what bitcoin has done for me myself is it was a key that unlocked some new layers of of my consciousness and this sounds really so yep. poncy but it's actually true, and it it, it 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 is. It's like the old adage: it's an onion that gets peeled slowly. Um, you you slowly become the person you were supposed to be. I find. Yeah. Well, 
God it, knows it, what that is, though. <laughs> but it starts. You feel elevating. comfortable in your own skin, I think. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think that's um, one thing it, I've noticed. It certainly elevates the the morally just and the the ethically sound. Um, you know, for sure. You, you look at around the space, like the people that uh, we've we've been able to interact with, um, and it just yeah makes you more comfortable in your decisions, in your actions. I mean. Goodness me, mate. We're sitting here having this conversation. We're going down some pretty deep rabbit holes. And, like, you know, we've, we've not even known each other that long. But we can just connect immediately because this thing is so intellectually stimulating. It's just absolutely ridiculous that you, you can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop talking about it. You can't stop having epiphanies about it. I mean, walk yes. around. You go on walks. You listen to podcasts. You could have like three or four epiphanies on the same walk. You're like, oh my god! It's and funny. Then, I've had, I've had this experience once before in my life. Funnily enough, and it was my what I would call when I had my first spiritual realizations. Uh -huh. You know, in the, when I was in my twenties. But it has a lot of the same characteristics, and it, it's basically you had a bunch of concepts in your mind, very rigidly held concepts, and something pulled the rug on one side of it and the whole house of cards started falling down slowly yeah. and that's it's happening again with me with with value money the world you know all all this kind of stuff um and it, the, the the movement of the bitcoin movement i've also experienced that once before and that was in the late 80s when the dance music movement happened do you remember acid i don't know how old you were then but what we used to call acid house late 80s it signaled this massive change in 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 culture in certainly in the UK. How you know, we had warehouse parties, electronic music, people just getting free and easy. You know, even simple things like prior to that movement, British people were very staid and and very sort of you know. And after that movement, there was hugging when you met people, kissing people on the cheeks. You know that kind of European vibe. You know, it changed everything, and it was a. It was an underground movement again. It lasted years. It completely changed my life, that whole movement. And it seems to be that in the Bitcoin movement, it's this kind of like the same thing. You, you get people that get involved. I don't know of anyone. I'm sure there are people, but I don't know of anyone that got involved and then backtracked and realized, actually, no, this isn't for me. And what often happens is you become very, very involved in it because it's it, it, like, it, it will take over because it, it's, it's like... It's like taking your first little bit of acid. It, it prizes open, uh, you know, a little section of reality and gives you a peek at something else. And once you've seen that thing, you have to go deeper. But you have to, you know, you, you really do. Which, while we're on the subject about the community, let's talk about mm -hmm. toxicity in the community because mm -hmm. I, um, I've noticed that came up recently. I think it was, is it that guy Lex Friedman? He seems like yes. a really nice guy. And I listened to the podcast. He was—he had a podcast with Anthony, Pompli Anthony Pompliano, who's, who I, I, I was really surprised how eloquent he was on that podcast. I thought it was brilliant, actually. Mm -hmm. You normally think of him as being a bit of a kind of, you know, a finance bro, but he was really deep on that podcast. I thought it was fantastic. And I must admit, Lex did say, you know, like he didn't like the toxicity in Bitcoin because people were being mean to him and, you know, he's he, they should basically think well you know he's a well-educated guy maybe they should treat him a little bit differently 
And I remember cringing myself when he said that because it's like what people, what I love about Bitcoin is how it doesn't really care about you. It doesn't give a fuck about you. You know, it's a, it's, it's an amazing thing and you, you either play by the rules or you don't. And as a result, that often you, you get people involved in Bitcoin who are the same. They don't really care about your, who you are or what you've done. You just play by the rules or you don't. And one of the rules in Bitcoin is kind of like there's a hierarchy. I mean, the more you know, the higher up the hierarchy you go in a way, because it's very much um, an arena of ideas. When people talk about Bitcoin, you know, the more you've thought it through, the more you have to say. And I think Lex didn't like that. He didn't like that idea that possibly... Um, some pleb that's been into Bitcoin for six years knows more about Bitcoin than he does and doesn't actually really care what he's got to say. They they don't care. They're on, you know, it's a very personal journey, Bitcoin. But what do you think about the toxicity? Because there are a lot of incredibly toxic people in Bitcoin who, you know, who'll just slap you in the face after you hold out your hand to shake their hand, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's definitely been a journey of, I remember being a Bitcoin Twitter lurker, like no effing way am I stepping up into that playground. Like I have no value to add to this conversation at all. Like the, the shit these guys are talking about and the people they're tearing down, uh, it's like, oof. and that's another thing. It makes you slay your heroes, right? You, you suddenly realize, oh wow, there's a lot of people here that have been spouting the same old crap for the last however long you've ever known that they existed and they can all of that narrative can be unraveled in a second because of their whole narrative their whole business model their whole personality has been built in the fiat house of cards it's going to fall down with that fiat house of cards so to lex i did not listen to the whole episode i've seen the clip the, the, the part that you referenced about, um, I actually watched the video um, where him and Pomp were talking about that. And have you seen the video when, when Lex starts talking about the, uh, the, the toxicity that he's received? Um, no, I, I, was, I, I was working on my motorhome last week and I, and I had it playing. Right. Okay. And um, so I I did listen to the whole thing. It's very long. I think it was about two, it's like three, hours, three hours. hours. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and I I do like people like Lex. I think he's a, he's a, I I love all those heterodox thinkers. But I do remember, you know, like clenching up yeah. when I heard him say it. I yeah. thought, dude, you don't get it. No, no. one gives a fuck exactly. about you. And and I've I've the classic, I, the classic I know that because I've got because I got kids. Right. I know that <laughs> like. Sometimes your kids really want you to care about things. Yeah. And I noticed that same sentiment in him. It's kind of like, no, come on, you should care about me. And mm-hmm. it's like, probably, yeah, in the real world, often that happens. But Bitcoin doesn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. No one gives a fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And it was really quite, uh, uh, it's one of, the, one of the things about Bitcoin that gets a lot of people involved. They really love the way it's the great um, pacifier. It just yep. it puts everyone at the same level. Absolutely. You either you either get, you either go deep and understand it, or you don't. And the more you understand, the more leverage you have to talk about it. And uh, you know. So that that particular clip in 
I mean, I watched it. I was like, oh, my God, man, what are you doing? What are you saying? And, like, the, the classic line for me was, I don't know why people have to be so, uh, like, toxic towards me when I'm, you know, asking questions or making statements or sharing my thoughts about Bitcoin because, you know, I got a PhD and stuff. You're like, what? You're bringing that to the table? We don't care. Like, to you, exactly what you said. We don't The funny care. thing is... He, he, when I listened, I mean, I, 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 at the time when I was listening to it, I went back and listened to it again because I thought oh, that was a bit out of character for that guy. And a, a little bit later on, or a few seconds later, he says, he actually says, well, I've never actually had, I've never actually had any toxicity. People have been very nice to me. So like I say, it makes me think, okay, there's a meme, there's a, there's a narrative there because it didn't actually happen to him. He, he, he says in the thing, everyone's been really nice to me and they, as they would be, but um, if you say something like that, people are going to call you out on it because, uh, you know, it's not uh, it's not somewhere. It's it's very much like I say, plays into the to the whole idea of hierarchies, mm -hmm. you know, and, and which is another idea that's sort of like fighting for its life at the moment. This kind of whole notion that these you know, blue check marks or blue cuck marks, as I like to call them on Twitter, blue cuck they're, they're fighting to stay relevant. Dude, I've got, I've yeah. got a blue cuck mark. I have. I've got a blue cuck mark. <laughs> I got, Nicely I got done. one when I did. Well, no, I didn't. You don't. You don't <laughs> ask for them. You get. It just appears one day. Really? <clears throat> okay. But you see, some some people beg for them, right? And you you see all the the blue check marks come out on Twitter, fighting to save their narrative. You know, people like Rubini, people like Taleb, and you know these guys that uh, come out and fight against Bitcoin and Schiff and all of these other guys. Um, because their whole narrative depends on the fiat legacy system that it's been built on. And the fact that, hey, did you listen to Peter McCormack's show the other day? He had American Hoddle and um, Phil Geiger on the show. I haven't. Okay. No. So they got, I, I like they got that onto this. American Hoddle, though. He's yeah, he's funny. funny. They got onto this exact point about toxicity because what's been going on in Clubhouse at the moment a few well-known people have been showing up in the discussions and they get brought up onto what they call the speaker stage so they can interact with some of the people that are running the rooms. Uh, so um, A-Rod, what's his name? Rodriguez, this this basket baseball player from the US, like hundreds of millions, like one of the most famous baseball players, turns up in one of the rooms and starts asking questions. And the plebs are shouting him down, like, immediately. Like, you know, <laughs> zero respect. And the, like, Hoddle was saying, I got the impression he was loving it. I don't think anyone's oh. spoken to him like an actual person before. Because yeah. these people, they walk around on cloud nine half the time, not understanding exactly, you know, why is everybody bowing down to me and asking me for autographs and just wanting to be my friends, you know, this 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 whole other side of the coin that comes with fame. Um, but then when you, you meet a, a Bitcoin guy and like, you know, with, with Lex, like, where's the respect? I've got a PhD. You're like, all right, hang on a second. We don't care. You want to learn about Bitcoin? Go pick up a book. That's what I did. I, th I think what he's alluding to, though, is that if you if you if you don't have a discussion necessarily on his terms you might miss something that he knows that you don't and the, the it, arguably that's completely true 
and and it would be but i don't think he still doesn't get it bitcoiners still don't care because and this is there's something about the inevitability of bitcoin that makes a lot of people in the space not give a shit about any of that stuff because it's going to happen anyway and it's very much i know it's it's very it's very there's a lot of it's mainly men and it's it's, it's like a it's, it's a you know like we were talking uh, the other day about getting into finance and basically getting bullied from the word go right you know that you you get that jostling amongst men when when a bunch of men get together and and especially when there there is that degree of certainty with with so many people around bitcoin that that you can do what you want and no one gives a fuck of course it's going to happen so he's got a he, he's got a point that it may well be turning away a fair number of people but but a but a, a toxic maxi, maximalist or someone who's heavily that way inclined doesn't care because sooner or later they'll come in mm-hmm. they'll come back <laughs> it's, it's not ideal i anyway, had but. i had a guy called um guy bennett on the show pub lord uh, from the toxic happy hour uh he he's the co-host with with anders and he 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 summed it up very nicely actually towards the end of of our show he's like you know bitcoin gives us a voice it does because we have this thing now, we have this asset that is outside of their system that it doesn't matter what they do to the monetary system going forward. We have something that is sound money, that is ours, that can't be controlled by them. And it gives us a voice. It gives us a chance to to stand up against what's going on. Uh, so maybe... That toxicity that that we talk about is just our voices. It's just our inner feelings. This the discussions like this. It's also the toxicity is also the voices of a certain section of society that that loves the fact that now they can say fuck you with their money. So it's not yeah. like I I wouldn't consider myself a to- toxic Bitcoiner. I love all that shit because I just love I'm a I love culture. I love watching what's going on and I. And and it's a beautiful thing to behold what happens in Bitcoin because it's for everyone. It, it you, literally it doesn't matter who you are. It's come one, come all. It's it's the most egalitarian thing you'll ever find, um, which which seems to play against the narrative of there's a load of toxic people in there as well. But there are there's a load of all kinds of people. I mean, you look at our groups that we have. We 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 have a weekly meetup where noobs can come and talk to us about Bitcoin on on um, on Zoom. And it's the most welcoming place. It's like a. It's the most welcoming place in the world. Everyone's super friendly, super like, you you know, everyone doing it for free. Answer any question, you know, whatever. So it is for everyone. This is what I love about. I love about that space. You can find your place if you don't want to talk to toxic maximum, toxic bitcoiners. <laughs> just talk to someone else. Um, and and why you know, but one thing's for sure. And I think it was Michael Saylor that pointed this out that that. that the the Bitcoin community has an immune system um, that fights off, you know, things it doesn't like, and and that would be probably the 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 max the toxic people, you know, when people come in with um, certain ideas that don't fit the narrative, they get pretty much they get attacked quite often and for almost like for fun because no one really. No one really thinks that, you know, it's going to make any difference to whether Bitcoin gets adopted or not. It's a, it's a bit of it's a bit of fun and it's a bit of a it's the playground. It's the Bitcoin Bitcoin playground, you know. <laughs> it's it's an amazing place to be because it's so chaotic. Yeah. And so so 
inclusive. I mean, it's the most inclusive thing. But when you're in there, you have to expect anything could happen to you. And and it, it would do. But beautifully, I mean, and I think most Bitcoiners would honour this, is, is if you don't want to speak to them, they're not going to force themselves on you, that's for sure. Because it's, you know, it's not in the ethos. It's, it's a live and let live world. Um, you know, and it's like if you go to a, a concert and there's a mosh pit, you know, you can listen to the concert from over there or you can jump in the fucking mosh pit and get your eye gouged out, you know. <laughs> you don't have to go in the mosh pit. It's fun, but you play by the mosh pit rules in the mosh pit. Yeah. But you don't. But you can still be at the same concert and just stand on the other side and enjoy the music, you know. That's a cool analogy. And there, are, <laughs> and there are some that go to the concert that will never go in the mosh pit, and there are others that will only be in the mosh pit, right? They're, they're, exactly. It's, uh, they go there for the mosh pit. Yeah. Yeah. The, the music it doesn't matter what a, the band a, is. <laughs> yes, that, that could be, you know, whatever they're playing music. Let's let's jump and push each other. Right. Okay. Look. So so okay. So what what aspects of Bitcoin are we not covered on the surface level? I mean, this is once again, if you're still listening by this point, mm. then, then then that's very good because you're you're probably someone who'll take it a little bit further. But there are, um, you know. I don't know whether how I can say it in any other words, but it's it's a life-changing, world-changing technology, which has so much upside, not both financially for you, but also socially for for the world, um, and and you know it you, you owe it to yourself to check it out and just to see what it is and to not fall into the trap that so many people do especially I'd, I'd say in my peer group let's say it can be that simple it can literally be that simple you buy something you hold it and then 10 years later you've got a lot more money than you started with mm -hmm. it can be that simple you don't have to overcomplicate it um but once you do you know start thinking about what this thing is and why it's doing that why is it going up year on year why is everyone buying it why why you know like what effect is it having on you and i because i know a lot of people in the space have been talking about this for a for a long time how on the transformative properties of the ideas behind bitcoin bitcoin is a a bunch of code that exists on the internet um but it has a profound effect on the people that use it and it's really quite astonishing to, mm -hmm. to think of of that that and it takes a lot of people by surprise but you know without rambling on a bit too much you know you come mainly a lot of people they come for the for the price increases but they stay for the transformation that occurs within themselves and without of themselves mm -hmm. you know like and it's it, i've seen it over and over again even in the the simplest way like someone starts accumulating bitcoin i'm not going to say who but someone i know very well has has recently started accumulating and already they're thinking long term they're actually thinking long term about everything not just the fact that they're now got they've got some bitcoin which is accruing in value they've it, it happened in like six months literally everything changed and and it's really a and it's a it's a big meme, but it's a it's an idea whose time has come. That's what a lot of people say. And the knock-on effect of that is huge. Um, I remember, and it happens a lot quicker nowadays for people. I remember it took me years, and you probably had the same um, 
kind of uh, journey. But I remember one day waking up and just like, I just felt all of this anxiety had lifted. You know, I'd had the most amazing night's sleep I'd had in ages, years, uh, because my conviction level of Bitcoin had just been going up and going up and going up. And I finally reached the point where I'd had enough epiphanies and enough had clicked. Uh, this is before I started the podcast. And it's like, we're going to be all right. As a family, we're good. And having that like elephant get up and, you know, get off your chest and walk away of the anxiety of, you know, the finances and have I got enough and, you know, what am I going to be able to afford this year and not afford that year? To be able to take all of that noise away and be safe in the knowledge that with this asset, with what we've, you know, decided to research and look into and ultimately hold has given me the power to have way much more confidence in the future. And the the effect that has on, you know, the main provider for the family, you have, you've got three kids, I've got four kids, you know, these are, these are big tasks we take on, right? So to have all of that anxiety that and the baggage that came with the fiat monetary system suddenly be solved because of this thing over here is like mind blower yeah uh, i mean i can i can relate to that i i suppose for me i don't i i i didn't respond as well to that aspect of it because i've always been pretty low time preference investor you know we for example we, you know our house we didn't borrow money to buy a large house. We, 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 we spent what we had, bought a small house and added value to it. So, like, you know, the notion of an asset to me is something that was very quite normal and long-term thinking. I think in my case, the sigh of relief that I felt um, was that there is an alternative. And that's a big thing for me. When I was a youngster, I was a right hippie and I traveled around... I had dreadlocks and, and very counterculture, let's say. So I've, I've thought a lot about counterculture and why we need a counterculture. And, and, and authoritarianism, you know, has been on my mind forever, pretty much since I was a kid. And until I discovered this, I, I never actually, I, I, I just, I was always assuming that there was going to be an answer. And then when it came, I was like, well, thank God for that. And that is the thing I always think of now. Every time it, it, it'll pop up every now and then, you know, on a day to day basis, I think, oh, God, thank fuck that Bitcoin exists, because that was an unsolvable problem until that existed. Whatever it is, it did self-sovereignty, the environment, you know, savings, um, just private transactions, peer to peer you know, like without, without having to ask anyone's opinion. All those things were how I wanted to live. You know, I wanted to live like that. I didn't want, I hate asking permission for things. It's the, you know, I'm a responsible adult. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I, de I, th I think deeply about many, many things. You know, like and if I'm doing something, it's because I've thought it through on the whole. You know, and that whole notion of, ah, oh, no, you need actually to check with an institution or an authority first before you do everything. I find it deeply disturbing. And you don't with Bitcoin. You, you, you get, in the, in the case of value transfer, you get to choose what you do and when you do it. 
and it's uh, it's a beautiful thing and it has like i say like we've kind of been touching on up until this point it has an impact on so many other aspects of our lives and probably a thousand more that we have absolutely no idea of yet and that's the beautiful thing about it it's quite a an um an essential technology it's it's got it's got a kind of a base layer feeling to it it's kind of like this was the first thing that was invented and now all this other stuff gets sort of built around it or on top of it and and etc 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 so god only knows where it's going you know i can i can we can think about a few things and predict a few things but but really uh, you know my my belief will be in a hundred years time the whole world culture will have been transformed if if this thing continues on and it it seems like it will i mean i remember say four years ago that i i wasn't as nearly as convicted as i am now and i'm still i still like you know like the best relationships in life you you can always still wonder you know yeah. i i wouldn't say i'm i'm in i'm a hundred percent believe in this thing well actually there's probably the wrong way to 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 put it you know i still believe some strange thing that i haven't quite thought of yet could destroy the whole thing but for me see that doesn't matter because what's become very apparent is you, the, the the sort of battle lines have been drawn you know you've got two choices now and I'm quite happy to go down with all my fellow Bitcoiners if this thing doesn't work. I, I don't care. It doesn't make any difference because there's no other alternative. You either stay in the stay with the system we have and it, it controls your life until the end of eternity. Or you take the orange pill, as we say, and you go down that road. And I'm like I say, I'm happy. I don't care what happens down that road. The whole thing could erupt into flames and it would be the most it'll be the most gracious and and you know it'll it'll just be I, i'm happy i'll be happy you know i am i'm happy now that it exists and that's all that really matters you know um anyway diatribe over <laughs> <laughs> i think i think we're coming to an end here this is quite astonishing i i'm i'm sorry i had to come back and have some more but i just felt on the last conversation we had um and it's for me. It's also to do with doing it over the internet. I'm I struggle here. Mm. I'm a converse, I'm a real life conversation person, and I struggle with conversations on the internet. Um, but but I feel this one's coming to a, to an end, and and I think that's it, you know a good place to leave it. Um, so yeah, thanks for. Unless you have a last word, I'm I'm just aware that I actually spoke last. Maybe <laughs> that's a bit rude of me, isn't it? You're you're a guest uh, in my house, so um, have you got something you would like to add to our conversation right at the end, or something to leave people with? Your 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 most profound um, understanding about life, or or, or whatever. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, I uh, appreciate, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, Tim. It's been great to hang out with you again. Um, I'll see you tonight, probably, on the on the weekly Zoom call. If, oh, yeah, it's tonight. <laughs> I love that call. I can't wait for that call. It's one of my big things of the week. It, I really love it. It's great fun. Um, for anybody that's curious about Bitcoin, uh, reach out to myself or Tim. Um, I can be found on Twitter at princey1976 or... Go to once-bitten.com, find my website there, listen to a few of the podcasts. You're more than welcome to um, to hit me up anytime. 
Um, and he will. He's very amenable. All Bitcoiners are. You can, you can approach pretty much anyone, Absolutely. no matter how highbrow or lowbrow they are. And you'll, I've never not got a response from a Bitcoiner. It's amazing. To this point. Yeah. Um, now, profound thoughts. I wouldn't say anything profound. I would say this to anybody that is listening. And you touched on it earlier. You know, you owe it to yourself to have a look at this thing seriously. And if you don't owe it to yourself, you at least owe it to your wife, to your kids, to your grandkids, to your immediate family, to your friends. Because someone in your circle, if you're the first person to step up and start looking at this, then you're taking responsibility and you're going to be able to help a lot of people reach financial freedom. That's truly what I believe Bitcoin can achieve for you over the next five to 10 years. And to, to leave that opportunity on the table after listening to this podcast or another one or reading an article or whatever it is would be criminal. You know, it's Tim and I know it takes one, two, three, maybe four touch points to hear about Bitcoin before you actually make that step. But if you are here now listening to this for the first time, please. I implore you, go out and pick up a book, pick up the, the Bitcoin standard, or if you prefer YouTube, just go to a YouTube channel, find someone about Bitcoin. What is Money Series by Robert Breedlove, maybe. Um, if you prefer articles, you know, just go to Medium and type in Bitcoin. There's so much amazing stuff. Um, you know, step up, take, take, the, take the leap of faith. Um, I guarantee you, you're going to be intellectually stimulated and you're going to start questioning a lot of the big questions that you don't have answers to but it will help you and those that you love so i'll leave it at that thank you so much okay Tim. before you go though i've got one last question mm. um if you had one last orange pill <laughs> to give um, you've turned the tables on me who would you give that pill to? You've only got one left. Mm. And and we're at the current state of affairs. So it's not sometime in the future. It's right now. Yeah. I just gave you the most potent orange pill on the planet. You give it to someone, they're going to take it. Who would it be? You know, I've had this question turned on me a few times and I, I keep going back to the same answer. But I think it's becoming less, less powerful now. But... Um, if we could have got her a year ago, if we could have got Greta Thunberg a year ago, that would have been an unimaginable shift for the generation, you know, teens down, you know, 18-year-old down. It's an interesting one. Because I think it could have been fraught with danger as well, though. Well, if she could have come out and said, right, Bitcoin fixes this. If she could have, if someone could have pilled her. It takes her. a lot of work to get to that point. I though. know. I know. But hey, look, it's the, a magic orange pill. So Yeah, but she, there's a magic, but dude, there's a, there's a massive barrier to getting to Bitcoin fixes this. And this is Bitcoin boils the oceans. It's massive and it's in the way. But that's why she's the key. If she turns yeah, around but she, and says, I'm not Bit sure she'd make it over that. Bitcoin. I think. <laughs> if you got the orange pill and you rammed it down her neck and she woke oh, up right, the next okay. day and she's like, oh shit. Bitcoin fixes climate change. Uh, You're right. But the thing is, if I imagine Greta coming out one day, 
after being orange peeled and saying, you know, Bitcoin fixes this. I think she'd just get kicked out of the movement immediately. This is the thing. You know what I mean? She would. She'd be suddenly not worth listening to anymore. Because, oh no, everyone knows Bitcoin boils the oceans. What's this crazy <laughs> girl saying that it doesn't? She's saying it fixes the environment. You know, you've got to put the work in to get to Bitcoin fixes the environment. But when you do, it's, a, it's the most beautiful understanding mm -hmm. you can have, you know. It is. But, yeah, I, 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 I'm interested in that. I think I wouldn't give her the pill. I would let her carry on as normal. I would just say, Greta, you just do your thing because you're you're probably she may be one of the people that is never going to get it she may be and i i get that sense she's she's a deeply um her, her mind seems very very structured in in a certain way you've got to be more malleable to to navigate the bitcoin space i think personally but mm. i shouldn't but anyway yeah but by all means what's um what I was gonna—I'd give it to her mum and dad. Actually, what, uh, <laughs> that might be better. <laughs> what I was gonna say was, you know, split that, it in that, half. That was my answer for for like uh, a year back. And uh, after asking this question so many times on my own show, um, uh, I so many answers that I enjoy the most are like family members, and it's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love it if my you know, if I could leave the orange pill at my parents' house and they snapped it in half and took one each, you know, and just went on a, a trip together. And I think that would just be amazing um, because... I don't even... I, 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 I Like, my mum's probably listening to this <laughs> and she has absolutely no idea... Hello, Mrs. What Allen. Bitcoin is. <laughs> she doesn't know what Bitcoin is and she doesn't care and she won't care. She's 80-something. She's um, she's, you know... I, I'm not. I, I'm quite. I've never talked to her about it because I see absolutely no point. She's, she's doing all right, you know. And if the worst comes to the worst, I'll, I'll look after her. But she doesn't need looking after, you know. At the moment, she's more of looking after me, funnily enough. But um, yeah, I, 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 it's an interesting one. I think everyone sooner or later, everyone gets orange peeled. Um, it's just a question of what causes that to happen, and if it, it, it doesn't need to happen. Do you remember your answer but it's useful for, it for my show? I'm pretty sure I said something along the lines of that. I think I said, I wouldn't, I don't care. I think I think I said I'd give it to youngsters in general. Right. Because they're, you know, like in, in two or three generations time, I, I think this is inevitable what's happening. Like mm -hmm. I say, short of a, of a black swan event that we could never contemplate. I mean, you would really have to be an astonishing black swan event that, that would change all this. I see it as an inevitability. Um, you know, I'm the 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 format it takes in the future is open for debate. But currently, as a savings technology, for example, we all understand it. We see it working. It's great. It's easy to do. It's it's you know it's it's stood the test of time. It's had some pretty you know terrible attacks on it in the past. You know, the forking and Mount Gox and various things like that. And it's come come out shining. It's come out stronger. So I, I don't really think it really matters. I think when people come to you and ask you a question about Bitcoin, that's the time to give them the orange pill. Because they're ready. They're ready to learn mm -hmm. about it. And and I, I, I know this from my photography and filmmaking world, is I don't want to 
work with someone that doesn't want to work with me. Mm. You know, like I, I'm not going to try and take a photo of someone that doesn't want to be photographed. I'm not looking for that kind of picture. I don't want a pissed off person. I want a happy person who's happy to work with me. And it's, and and most of the time, if you can engineer a, a space in the photography world, if you can engineer a space within which someone feels very comfortable with you, they'll reveal everything to you. And and those are the times when our in our vulnerable moments when things like an orange pill pill have a massive effect on you. You know, when you're ready, when you're looking, when something happens to you and you're like, oh my God, everything I thought I knew was wrong. And and now I'm looking at that and it's like, Jesus, I'm gonna and every time you you, you retest Bitcoin, you test it again, you test it again. Ten years later you're still testing it to see if it if it really could be that simple. And it, it appears to be. <laughs> it really does appear to be. Anyway, thanks for coming on, mate. Mate, loved it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I can't wait to meet in real life. It, it's it's insane. Well, I mean, you know, it, it is. All this stuff's insane. Um, I think we both made ourselves very clear about where we stand on all that. And it's it's true. Um, you know, I um, I cannot wait for... Um, a time when we can start moving around internationally again and uh, yeah we'll hook up and have one hell of a fucking session sounds good mate um <laughs> yes <laughs> um uh, in the meantime I'll, I'll like i say i'll see you on tonight's zoom call another zoom call yeah with a bunch of bitcoins actually probably mentioned that call if yeah. anyone's listening to this and you really are interested in learning about bitcoin Drop me or Daniel a note. It's easy to contact us and we'll give you a link to the call. Uh, we meet every week. We talk about everything and anything to do with Bitcoin. And I'd say 75% of the people on there were brand noobs in, in 2021. So, you know, you can ask us anything. We're happy, we're happy to talk about it. And, and we do. It's a very uplifting group, very welcoming. You can come and go. You can lurk. You don't have to you put your video on if you really don't want to, but... But we are we are well you're welcome to come and, and learn about it with us. Okay. Excellent. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Tim. Take care, mate.